Irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. Hello there, and welcome to All Things Therapy. I'm your host, Lisa Tahir. I am a licensed clinical social worker practicing as an intuitive psychotherapist. I'm also certified in EMDR, and I am a Reiki practitioner. You can find me online at my website, which is nolatherapy.com, the abbreviation for New Orleans Los Angeles Therapy. You can book sessions to meet with me remotely via phone, Skype, or FaceTime, or you can book an in-person session at my New Orleans or Los Angeles offices where I divide my time each month. And something new I have is I launched a Patreon campaign to help afford this show and bringing on new guests continually. So you can find the link to my Patreon campaign as well at nolatherapy.com. And you can find archived episodes of this show. You can subscribe to listen via YouTube and iTunes and Google Play. So my guest today was on last year, and I'm really excited to bring her back on. She is definitely one of the most brilliant therapists I know personally. She is a relationship expert and is a marriage and family therapist as well as a licensed professional counselor. She has offices here in Los Angeles in Silver Lake and an office in Portland, Oregon, and she divides her time as well. And she specializes in working with couples, helping them uncovering their blocks to love and, and blocks that limit their relational beingness with each other. So we're going to talk to her. I'm going to talk to her today about the ways that she approaches relationship therapy and, and coupleship. Additionally, I want to pick her brain about social media and the way specifically that social media affects our, our mental health. I was at a bar mitzvah last weekend in New Orleans and had the opportunity to be around a lot of of new college students, freshmen in college, and and we were talking about social media and just the role that it plays on their emotional well-being or their emotional unwell-being. And so I want to ask Nina her thoughts and feelings around that. And as adults, how it, it promotes our businesses, it helps us get you know, the word out there, we can share photos and information with family and friends that are afar, but also it, it can cause us to feel left out uh, of things. So I just want to jump in. Nina Watt, thank you for being with me today. How are you? I'm good, Lisa. Thank you for the invite. You're welcome. And I want listeners to know additionally, just some of your background, that you are versed in gestalt therapy, that you've spent a lot of time at the Esalen Institute in Big Sur, California, that you spent time Mm -hmm. at an ashram in India, and you have a Hatha yoga practice. So Mm -hmm. I'm not sure where you want to start, but you bring a lot to the table. Well, mainly it's my own life experiences that have brought me to this place. I didn't start... um, I didn't start grad school until I was in my early 40s. So 
So it took me some time to figure out what I wanted to do. And it was after sort of a myriad of life experiences that I ended up as a therapist. Okay. I didn't know that about you, that it was later in life that you came to this work. Yeah. Yeah, much later. But the yeah, wisdom pretty bring. Good. Sorry? I said the wisdom you bring is definitely then from your life experience. Yeah, for sure. It it was, I had a sort of complex life before that and got myself involved in lots of different things, um, good and bad, I guess. Sure. And, and didn't know what to do with it and ended up, you know, okay, well, I'll be a therapist. And, and it's kind of been really good because there isn't much that walks into my room that I don't somehow really, really relate to. Is that how you connect to your clients? Usually through, yeah, through a deep sort of empathic understanding of, of where they're, you know, what they're going through. And I think because, you know, I've been through it, I, I sort of exist as an example of somebody who can, you know, who comes out the other side of, of things okay. Yeah. Can you talk about the role of empathy in your work with your clients? Well, I mean, it, it's it's just an ability, I think, to I mean, to to look at what somebody's saying and and have a deeper understanding of what it might be like for them to sustain judgment or to work, you know, um, to not have an opinion about where they're at so much, but to sort of understand it. So it it it's useful when it comes to behaviors or people that you know aren't aren't sort of naturally attractive. Like, how do you find, you know, empathy around a person that is, is not behaving properly or doing the right thing or being a good person? You still have to find a way to understand where they're coming from. So I think what you do, it's a complex process. What we both do as therapists, it's complex to look mm -hmm. within and I think draw that mm -hmm. out and connect mm -hmm. without giving a diatribe about ourselves <laughs> to, our, right, to right. our clients. So can you talk some about your work and your practice and what would you like to start with today in our show and as a focus? Well, you're, you're talking about empathy. It's interesting. And, and a lot of my couples work sort of requires that you have to have double empathy. You know, how do you stand in the middle of a couple where one you know, one seems to be not behaving right or not behaving optimal and the other one, you know, how do you not side but find the empathy with both situations? So, you know, that part of, part of that is what I love so much about doing the couple's work is because there's so much to have to consider. You know, there's the dynamics between them, the, their history, um, the body language, all the aspects of their relationship, like the physical aspects and the emotional aspects and their belief systems about the relationship and each other, um, tracking individuals and the couple dynamics at the same time is what, what I find so exciting about it because it's very complex. Um, and then you bring, you know, heated emotions into the room like anger or injustice or jealousy and it, it makes for a a pretty interesting soup which is why I like it like doing that the couples work so much I also it's it's interesting um, see a lot of men in my practice 
do you? Which, uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of you know men aged maybe twenty five to forty five that sort of seek me out. And, what do you think um, that is? I have no idea, and and it's always been that way for me. And and, and it's interesting for me to see men. You know, you, I have to, you sort of have to work with them differently at the beginning. There's a way that you have to enter their psyche through the, the sort of cerebrally, you know, intellectually, before they before they sink down into the emotion. You know, and, um, but it's pretty interesting for me to to work with men, because you know, a lot of my own preconceived sort of opinions about men, especially with what's going on in the world, but to see such a soft sort of vulnerable side of them in my room is, is really quite a, a gift in many ways for me personally. You know, my, my intuitive sense of that as you were talking is that you, your presence and being that I know you personally, you have such a warm and inviting presence of non-judgmentalness and, and acceptance. And I suspect that these men see a, a mother figure in you because yeah. you just have that nurturing yeah. element that exudes from you. And I think these men are, are looking for that. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, maybe I don't know. I mean, I definitely feel that, you know, I I am not a mother, but I definitely feel that I mother my clients. I mean, this this is how I've ended up expressing being a mother with being a therapist, really, because. Well, I think it's really. Go on, Nina, and then I'll I'll ask you this question. No, no, that's that's fine. I'm done. I was going to say, I think it's really interesting what what you're bringing up as far as this mothering piece of things that you don't have children of your own. I don't have children of my own either. However, I think something that we do for certain clients is definitely provide the role of a mother, of a spiritual mother, of a, the touchstone of a mother on I had a client text me on Mother's Day just thanking me for being a spiritual mother to her all these oh, years. Yeah. yeah, it, it was for so sure. touching because I always wanted children. That just hasn't happened. And it's not, I might, I'm looking into being a foster mom uh, potentially. Mm-hmm. So I wonder for you, how does it feel when you do, you know, have that sense that you're being looked up to and relied upon in that way? Well, you know, I always tell my my clients because you can see if somebody's starting to sort of idealize. I can feel it if somebody's starting mm-hmm. to idealize and put too much, you know, too much into what I'm saying and what I'm doing. I always tell them, you know, I you 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 get the very best of me. <laughs> you know, I'm yes. really just human too, and I have my own stuff that comes up that I have to work through and. Because I think that there's a way that, you know, as you know, people can think therapists are are always these wonderful person that give perfect empathic feedback and see you how you want to be seen and understand you and all of that. But, you know, we're just human, too. We are. And how do you handle that in your personal life, for example? Have you had situations where, you know, people outside of your practice do have that expectation of you and kind of projection upon you? You mean about how I am as a person? Oh, I mean, in my real life, I'm really, I'm pretty authentic. I'll tell people, you know, this is what I am doing. This is how I'm not functioning optimally or this is how, you know this is how I made a mistake or 
this is my blind spot. I don't have a problem saying that to friends at all. And, and less so, the more I, the more I practice as a, a therapist, the less I have problems bringing up, you know, things like that to my clients as well. In places ways. where I've fumbled or, or yeah. slipped in life and letting them know that, you know, it's just part of the, uh, it, we're all on a path. Right. Um, you know, it's so hard to be, it's so easy to be hard on oneself. It's like, you know, we were talking about all the Facebook stuff, and this is probably a great entryway into. Go ahead, yeah. You know, where Facebook and Instagram work against us so much and how we feel about ourselves, you know. Can you say some more about that? Well, you know, I first started to notice it. It was a guy that brought it up to me quite a few years ago. And there's a, a Instagram, uh, a guy on Instagram. I forget what his name is called. Murad Osman or something. What is his name? He's a, you, you might sure. have seen his work. His name I don't, is Murad. Okay. Murad, Murad M-U-R-A-D. Murad Osman. He's an okay. Instagram, and what he posts is pictures of himself uh, traveling with his girlfriend, and the girlfriend leads him. So the, all the photographs are this beautiful woman in front of him with her hand behind her, and and they're at you know they're at the Taj Mahal, they're at the they're in Paris, they're in Saudi Arabia, they're all over the world, and she is fabulous and dressed amazingly and his hand is holding his girlfriend and, and you would seem that these people have the most amazing life um and i remember this guy came into me and he he was really sort of dejected and bummed out because he'd been looking through this guy's instagram account and just sort of started realizing like my life is i have the most meaningless life and there's, there's nothing in my life exciting um and he was really suffering around it yeah i mean since then i'm sure you've got people too that come in and really really um uh, you know see themselves against the platform of instagram or facebook and feel really badly about their own lives and very anxious about what they're doing and that they need to do more and that they need to you know get more or do more it's it's really debilitating for a lot of people what social media has done so i'm curious how you helped how did you help this gentleman coming into your office and i just pulled up his uh murad osman i had i'm not on instagram i had an account but i just i don't even use it i think i have two pictures so i pulled him up and i see the picture holding his girlfriend's hand so how did you help the gentleman with this well, it, it, it's like all of it is, it, it's what's happened, I think, is that since social media has become so huge and since we've become sort of globalized, the world has become globalized, that there's there's a way that, you know, a system of ranking has occurred um, that we're sort of unwittingly caught up in. Like with everything in front of us, we're able to see you know where we where we land in the in the ranking of things you know who is the most beautiful who is the most thin who is the wealthiest who is the most so because it's all out in front of us we're really really aware of where we land in that system so our whole self-esteem is based on on our perceived experience the perceived experience we have of ourselves within the a ranked system there are these many people that have better lives or more money than us 
and there are these people that obviously don't. But it's a pretty unrealistic look at things because, uh, you know, our, our world on social media is really so small. And I, I think like, like any way out of sort of being trapped up in social media and what's going on and how popular are we or how, um, you know, any one, of the, any one of the places where we might sort of look and see how people are better or worse than us. Right. It's, it's really important, I think, to get a more uh, realistic worldview. Um, and, and that, of course, is, is like, I think it's education. I think it's, I think it's looking beyond our little small worlds of our friends and what we see and sort of, you know, getting a better, a better, a bigger worldview where you can start to see that the things that you see on Facebook aren't really even true or aren't even really realistic. They're one so facet it, it of an down, individual. Yeah. It sort of goes back to, I think, you know, getting, learning, growing, seeing w- what is really true in the world. Um, one, of the, one of the biggest antidotes, I think, to Facebook and getting off Facebook is getting it off Facebook and reading and getting into books or blogs or, you know, podcasts that are interesting. Mm-hmm. That's you know, a really good relief. Alternative. You know, and Nina, as yeah. you're talking, as I'm listening to you, I, I'm going to speculate that at some point when the DSM, and for our listeners, that's the manual of, of mental health disorders that are diagnosable. I, I'm going to say that there will be a diagnosis related to social media, um, yeah. you know, specified anxiety and depression as the years yeah, go sure. on. Because I'm seeing sure. more of it in my office and in my personal life. You know, I have um, clients come to me feeling left out of functions, you know, mm-hmm. left out of social occasions. And on one hand, you can't invite everyone to every party. That's mm-hmm. not realistic, you know. So right. at the same time, we used to maybe not know. It used to not be so in our consciousness when we were not invited. And now you can, you know, it, it pops up in your news feed or you go to a friend or loved one's page and there's what they choose to present of themselves. And, you know, people mm-hmm. are feeling left out and you know a sense of inferiority it can be used i think as social control i think individuals use their social media to exclude people instead of having a conversation Mm -hmm. about what is going on in this relationship or friendship i think it can be used as to exert social dominance and power in its worst expression and in its best Mm -hmm. expression i think it's a beautiful platform to reach you know millions of people with messages of healing and hope and fun and love so it's Mm -hmm. such a coin with two opposite diametrically opposed sides i think yeah absolutely i'd agree completely and so causes go go ahead no No, 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 you know i'm just curious again how you how you're working with your clients around this because i feel like this is one of those things i'm experiencing as well that i'm playing with these boundaries in my own life around social media and having been a big facebook person a week ago in preparation to speak with you i removed facebook from my iphone so i'm mm-hmm. checking it maybe once or twice a day from a desktop computer and i don't have access to posting photos in the moment and i surprisingly at this moment in time feel a lot of relief around that mm-hmm. 
And so, mm-hmm. you know, I'm kind of struggling how to help my clients and I'm wondering how, how you offer them a suggestion. Have you, have you, has it been hard for you to stop doing it? No, it's been you, easy. Are, are you noticing? Oh, okay. I feel happy to yeah, not have it on my iPhone. It's like a relief. Like, oh my God, I'm just in the moment. I can't post a picture about what I'm doing. I just have to do what I'm doing and be with the people right. I'm with. And I'm loving that. So it's a delightful surprise to not feel, you know, a negative consequence of letting that go. But you don't feel the urge to look at no. it. I, I do like oh, twice a day. I do twice a day when I'm at yeah. my desk. There's a, I was reading an article recently that was talking about, uh, what, you know, what's happening sort of neurologically with people with Facebook is that every Who time, that? you know, that they're, that they're discovering that the, the, uh, every time you get a, a like or, or contact from somebody on social media or whatever, you get a bit of a dopamine hit. Yeah. So it, it it's having an effect on our neuroplasticity. We're changing the way that we are operating. So it really is like a bit of an addiction. You know, I don't know. You know, I for my myself, I I um, when I go up to Portland, I'm on my own for the majority of the time, and I will take my phone with me into a restaurant or whatever. And I notice, um, you know, sitting down by myself at a table having dinner. It, it's not 30 seconds that I, I go, I'll go to reach my phone it, and I can feel the draw to find out what's going on, what's yeah. happened, where, you know, who's contacted me, what have I missed? Uh, and, it, and it's really interesting that the, the, the pull towards it, it feels very addictive. It I does. mean, you can see it. You can see, you know, at airports. And I was driving by a bus stop here in LA the other day, and there was there must have been fourteen, fifteen people waiting at the bus, and every single person was on the phone. Like it really is becoming an addictive sort of process. So the first thing you have to do with clients is to work with them about, you know, stopping it, <laughs> getting sure. off of Facebook, like you said, or or not looking as much. Well, and these I, I, perfectly sort of curated experiences that other people are posting that aren't even real. Perfectly curated and that experiences. In itself is yes. Well, so it's it's hard to get people to stop. You know, you can, and it's and it's such a huge sort of sanctioned uh, drug in a way, right? Everybody's got a smartphone, and I was reading that most six year olds have a smartphone. Isn't that crazy? Interesting. You know, I like that you brought up neuroplasticity, and I didn't see that article. Uh, you know, we, we're, we, you and I both meditate, and I was reading recently about meditation changing neuroplasticity of the brain as well. Yeah. Peace and calmness. And so I've turned to that in the last six months to develop yeah. a very deep meditation uh, practice For in my sure. life. So I think that's why I don't For miss sure. having Facebook on my phone because – I don't know, meditation has kind of replaced that addictive twitch that I had, you know, to be in touch, put myself out there, see what everyone's doing, you know, because I was scared I'd be forgotten. Like one of my clients told me last week that if you're not posting, you know, the fear is that one might be forgotten and not invited to events and parties. And at some point I had to be like, fuck it. Mm -hmm. You know, if I'm not invited, I'm not invited, but I'm going to have a beautiful life. You know, with the people that are drawn to me in this new vein that I'm practicing. And I, mm-hmm. I like that you liken it to an addiction. If you can say a little more about that as well. 
Well, I just, I think it is. I think that you have to use the same tactics as, as you do if you're, if you're not, if you're trying not to smoke cigarettes or not have a drink or not eat sugar or not over exercise. You have to just not do it. It, it, you know, the bottom line is it's, it's a test of one's will. You, you, you know, to stop yourself looking at these things, knowing that they're not serving you, they're not helping you, they're not making you feel good. And I don't, you know, I'm so curious how, what is, you know, what is the, why is it some people get so lost into the experience of Facebook where they sort of lose sight about themselves and their place in the world and that, you know, they imagine that they've got an inferior life or they imagine that they're not popular or they're, you know, based on what they see or, or how many likes they get. And I don't know what causes that. It's like, it's like a... A, a solitary, I, I don't know, it's like, a, a, any thought, do you have any thoughts? Is it like a, a, a low, yeah. why is the esteem so low suddenly, you know, when it's, where did this happen? That we, we are on the search always to sort of almost make ourselves feel bad, look and see what other people are doing and wonder why we're not there, or why don't we go on holiday, or, you know, it's always coming from a place of sort of wanting. Um, what we don't have yeah this is what i want to ask you about when when i was meditating last week i got kind of this download that i started to play with uh, related to the five love languages the book by gary chapman Mm -hmm. and he talks about Mm -hmm. for our listeners he articulates five love languages and that is the the ways that we feel loved from others Mm -hmm. and physical touch is one of them it can be sexual or non-sexual affection Gifts, receiving gifts, acts of service. That's when people say, do something for you, go to the dry cleaners, do a favor for you, help you out. The fourth one is words of affirmation, you know, praise and and accolades about, about yourself. And then the fifth one is quality time, spending quality time. So Nina, I wanted to ask you, and my just thoughts, I think individuals that their love language is words of affirmation really get that that dopamine and serotonin surge from likes on Facebook mm-hmm. or attention on Instagram because it's all it, it's an affirmation to get a like, yeah. you know. And so I think people yeah. with words of affirmation, love language, really derive a sense of well being and pleasure that can be addictive. And I just wonder what you think. Well, I think for sure it is, especially with people that have low self esteem. You know. Um, that they'll there there was an article I read recently too about that they're discovering that Facebook is really a place to crank up sort of these personality issues like someone's got low self-esteem they'll post more pictures of their love life for example or their people that are in their world with them it's also it's also a platform for um, narcissism you know for boasting yeah. You can, you can, you know, some people use it as a place to boast about their work or boast about, you know, either this sort of selfie culture really is looking for, uh, you know, to be external referencing, you know, looking for people to say, oh, look how fabulous you look. Look how wonderful you look. Uh, oh, my God, beautiful. Like if you look at some of the, the, uh, the the sort of the selfie culture, the words that are written behind beautiful pictures that people post about themselves, but all of the the words are all like one and two and three word affirmations, you know, like oh my yeah. god, you're so beautiful, wow, look at you, wow, beauty, you know. So it it 
feeds sort of a feeds a narcissistically functioning person, you know, that needs that to feel like they have a sense of themselves. So, you know, Facebook is also acting as a place where people are sort of understanding who they are based on on how many likes they get or what people say about their posts as opposed to knowing inside what sort of human being they are. Um, you know, so I think when you work with people in the therapy office, you try to get them outside of that and into their own experience of themselves, what they know to be true about themselves and let them feel into sort of a, a realer experience of who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to sort of a synthetic one that's based on, oh, wow, congratulations, or, oh, my God, you're so beautiful, or things like this, right? The words that you get or the likes that you get, which are the same thing from Facebook or Instagram. You know, and and I think, I'm thinking several things as you're speaking related to you talking about low self-esteem and a way to derive uh, positive strokes, you know, from others outside of oneself is through what, you know, what's posted, what's put out there about one's life and the image one wants to present and the selfie culture and, and just how, you know, it diminishes an individual's ability to have human connection. You know, there's research that I've read about the development of social skills is more limited in, say, the millennial generation than my generation or yours, where we didn't have this texting culture and social media culture, we had to pick up a phone or go see someone in person and how it really affects our ability to connect. And I think it does cause an individual to become self-focused, which I started to notice. And I believe we're our own best tool. So that's why I'm being transparent today. Like, you know, I'd want to say something on Facebook that's positive. And then at the same time, I wanted the attention for saying something that's Mm -hmm. positive. And I started to get so Mm -hmm. like self-focused that I couldn't stand it Mm -hmm. about myself. You know, like you mentioned that narcissistic edge that I was like, oh, like, you know, I want to be in my life. And you said it so well, like, to really breathe into that, live into that space. And so I've kind of asked myself to evolve up some. And and mm-hmm. what do you think about that? Well, no, I, I mean I I think you're I think you're right. I, I think it's I had something I was gonna say and then I forgot. Um I I was I was thinking about uh you know how how social media and texting and all that has changed the way we interact relationally with each other too you know like um i always tell my people they're not allowed to have text fights anymore um and you know the idea that people i remember my young niece told me that in um you know younger uh, junior junior high school that going out really meant that you were text having a texting relationship with someone mm. you know, it was just sort of off topic but uh this okay. whole you know romance is sort of reinvented through our relationship with with social media right like everything is yeah. is, is so different you know if we send someone a bunch a string of emojis that are special that's called romance 
you know, and, uh, and, and effort, say, an effort in relationship would be getting on your phone and texting good morning to your person. And that would be, you know, that's considered like really trying hard at having a relationship. So there's, right. a, there's a way that, that being in relationship with each other has changed. But I think we, we need to be mindful of, of saying, um, you know, like back in the day and when I was a kid, it wasn't like that, which, uh, you know, I try to stop myself all the time at somehow, you know, believing that the way I interacted as a teenager was better than the way they are now. I think it's just really different. And I think that we are changing the way that we interact with each other and what we're, what we're, you know, how deep we go with each other. And maybe that's part of, you know, the anxiety that's faced with, with so many, I mean, with with so many younger people, although I do think that, you know, everybody is looking for real life, physical contact, right? you know, with with another human being. Yeah. And connection. Yeah. But they're just starting it a little different, maybe, you know, whereas, you know the the way they the way they meet out this whole you know i mean it's it can look very sad from if you if you look in comparison to how it was when you were younger but for them it's all it's all sort of a new way of interacting with each other right and it's also you know the the another aspect of this is that it's very convenient you know to be able to text someone good morning and make plans right. and you know, stay in touch with someone on the other side of the world. There's some beautiful silver linings to, uh, you know, my high school girlfriends, we've been friends, I think, what is it, 27 years now? And we have a Facebook Mm -hmm. group and we we make our dinner plans together that way and Mm -hmm. send pictures. I see pictures of their kids and I send pictures of LA and, you know, like without that, I don't think we'd be so close uh, at 27 years out, you know? So I love that aspect of social media, how it can, like you said, connect us and bring it together. I think it's being and, personally responsible. And what are you about to say? And, and well, and I, and I, I think too, because, you know, people maybe over 40 use it as use it in its best way to yeah. connect with family, to find old friends, to, to let people know, but it's the people that are, that are younger than that, that have actually sort of, you know, part of who they are, uh, part of their sense of self is, is about how they're seen um, in comparison with other people. For them, it's a, you know, it could be very anxiety provoking. Like I noticed that, I'm, you know, my clients in their 20s have a lot more stress over, um, feeling that their lives aren't interesting or are somehow insignificant or they're not they're not having a good a good enough life and they feel stress about that and i know that that's because of social media a lot of it because you wouldn't get somebody over 40 that would would maybe have that same experience because they they have had a different sort of um way that they've formed their sense of self um, where, whereas young people today really start very young on, on Facebook and Instagram and all that. And, and, you know, even the way they're dating on the dating apps is changing, you know, the way that they, they see themselves in relationship or they see what they have to do to be interesting to another person. You know, it's all physical. It's very, um, physically driven, I mean, image driven. 
Yeah, it's really, really hard. I think particularly for women because the, the you know, the social media sort of what it's done to us is it's opened us up to so many hundreds and thousands almost of people. So you get these dating apps, you know, like, uh, and I'm thinking sort of the fast dating apps like Grindr, or Tinder, or Bumble, right. or things like that, where people can sort of slip through, you know, 300 people an hour or whatever. I mean, that's very new. That never would have happened. So, you, you know, how do you stand out? How do you stand out when you're up against 300 other women? Sure. And, and you know, what they're doing is that there's a lot of um, sort of self-objectification, you know, making themselves into really, um, how can I get the attention, <laughs> basically? Exactly. And it, it's usually sexualizing themselves to such an extent that, that, that it, it, it's like, you know, these guys go on there, it's this huge, big, vast array of, of women that they can sort of just pick on how men are driven, which is, you know, youth and beauty, you know, at, at a certain age group, that that's what, that's what fuels them, right? That's and what motivates them, is having sex with beautiful young women. Yes. I, and that- I had a really interesting drive home with an Uber driver. The other okay. day, a young, a young boy, or he wasn't a young boy, he was a young man, he was a DJ, and so probably, he was really cute, so, um, <laughs> and he, I ended up talking to him, and he showed me his, his um, Tinder page, and he was flipping through, and he was showing me the girls, and, and he was sort of like being really almost negative about them. Wow. And um, look at this one, he was saying, look at this one, can you believe it? And I said, well, let me ask you, would you ever would you ever date her? Would you ever, you know, want to get to know her? And just like instantly he said, no way, you know? So yeah. my heart sort of broke for all the, all the people that are going on there. Now there's lots of women that go on, you know, the dating apps to just find sort of easygoing hookups and stuff Hook like that. But I sure. think that, I think most people are sort of always looking for something more, for someone to, see them for someone to love them for someone to have their back you know they're always right. looking for that person and 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 social media in this sense these dating apps are really working against women like they're just you know they're not they're not going to find what they're looking for it's really but you know it, it is it is the way that people meet and mate and have you know have fun in their 20s Right, and and even older. And and even older, yeah. Going back to the conversation we were having around self-esteem, you know, and and having a persona out there on social media or on a dating app and having it skewed towards the sensual, the sexual, presenting yourself in the most, you know, beautiful way that that you can do for yourself. I think it's causing self-esteem to be almost entirely derived in these ways of physicality, you know, and neglecting kind of the, in, you know, the internal work to bring Absolutely. oneself into alignment with their goals and vision and, you know, what they Absolutely. really bring to the table besides that pretty face, which fades. Right. Like, what about and, your heart? And that's why I think, well, I think that's why people feel so bad then because who they are is, is, is shored up by, by the, you know, how many likes they get or what people say about them as opposed to sort of going inward and going, you know, I'm an okay person. I, I, I'm a good person. I deserve to be loved or, 
you know, I, I want to show people who I am inside. That doesn't really come up in the equation. You know, right. it's really like, how good do I look, or or how am I going to get the how am I going to get the attention? How how am I going to get you know? The, so it's, Nina, it's, it's, sorry, go ahead. No, you first, Nina. No, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it'll come back. Yeah. I was just going to say that, you know, since I'm talking to you and, and I feel so comfortable talking to you that, um, you know, I have been in my own life experience. I definitely want the most beautiful pictures of myself. I want to show that I am happy, that I am healthy, that all is well. And, um, you know, that derivement of, of a persona on the outward. And, you know, in the last year, life has sent me some pretty hard knocks around the block mm-hmm. that has gotten me to shift from, and I've always been internally focused. I believe I'm a good person and I've worked you know, in therapy and in many aspects of my life for years, but a more inward journey in the last six months in particular, because, you know, like I have been misperceived and people looking at outward behaviors and and word on the street instead of my inner heart and self. So I've been going through just a mega shift and my whole whole search for identity. And um, it's helped me, you know, so I'm not speaking from a place of judgment about, oh my God, these people that want, you know, a hundred likes, I've been that person that, you know, mm-hmm. looks for a hundred plus likes and that makes me feel good. And I just realized it's so empty. So I wanted to talk to you because mm-hmm. I know you're not judgmental either. And I think we can help some people with maybe making a shift who are listening to developing some practices so that their self-esteem and value is derived from other sources besides social media. Well, for sure, I think that, and the, and what you're talking about is the ability to sort of contemplate oneself, or or go inside and to consider who you are and why you do things, and the the things that you've been proud of, and you know, basically developing a relationship with yourself, yes. and coming out of that with a certain knowing about who you are that somebody not liking you know a picture that you post really doesn't mean anything because you've got something else going on I mean I think one of the anecdotes to social media is you know quiet introspection I mean meditation you know is huge it's a huge thing to get into that changes things and like I said, I think, I think you know, education, self-education, um, self-awareness and, and, and educating yourself and, and seeing a bigger worldview. You know, the worlds that we have on social media are very small. Um, they're not, you know, they're very, it's a very small sort of curated world with your friends and your interests and, and that's it. And, and it's, you know, it, it's like a... They call it the filter bubble, actually, where everything that you like or everything that is for you is all through a series of algorithms is pushed on you. So your world is actually very small. And because of that, it it seems, you know, this is the way it is, which actually it's not the way it is, you know. So I think I think a study in I, I think you know as a sort of a spiritual study the look you know looking at this idea of humility mm-hmm. you know that we are no better and we are no worse than anybody else on the planet 
and really feeling into that, you know, as a spiritual concept um, that we are just one of many and where wherever we are is where we are and it's okay you know that there's always going to be somebody more beautiful or more talented always or richer yeah, smarter and there's always going to be and there's always going to be somebody that's going to be less so yeah you know uh, sort of embracing one's humility in, in the world as you are as a person um, i totally but agree I with you i totally agree and mm-hmm. it won't get a lot of likes you know, per se, but I think it's what the <laughs> truth is, you know, what we're speaking yeah. about. And I know in yeah. your work, Nina, that you encourage your clients as you do of yourself to take responsibility for one's decisions and perceptions, behaviors, mood. You know that you're really big, as I am, with personal responsibility and being accountable to ourselves mm-hmm. and others. And I think mm-hmm. on social media, that's really important to remember, to be kind, yeah. though you're hiding behind yeah. a screen and some bullshit yeah. that you want people to think of you, to like ask yourself to be accountable and kind, because that shit comes back, you know, Yeah, I, I think in some ways. Yeah. Well, I think self-responsible about everything. Like, you know, if you start to really consider the things that you put up there, if you look and you try to consider what is the motivation why am I saying this thing right now? Or why am I posting this picture right now? And as long as you can be clear about what the motivation is, That's you, good, you know, That's then you do it. You, but you have to take ownership for it. You can't just sort of blindly go out there and post things like to, to present a certain life for your uh, certain, you know, but to really, really consider why am I responding that way to that or why am i posting this picture right now what am i wanting and that's, that's all so important a little bit more self-aware and taking responsibility for what what you're posting well and Nina, you know i, I, I was thinking yeah. sorry go, go ahead no you, you you what were you thinking i want to know well, i was just thinking too another thing that makes it really difficult uh, and i i think it's worth mentioning is that there's you know you get a lot of a uh, sort of pop um, psychology fixes on Facebook too. You know, I, yes. I I don't know if you you know like you know always look on the brighter side of life and all the, yes you know, what you think will happen and you're the best person in the world and just believe in yourself. All this sort of like uh, e- easy sort of uh, you know like fluffy, fluffy stuff, fl- fluffy sort of ways to make you feel better. That that's always interspersed on Facebook pages, right? As if that's the easy fix to make you happy, and um, that that's also another problem, I think, because it's interspersed with you know there there must be something wrong with me if I can't just you know think about happy things and suddenly my my life changes. So you know there's there's a lot of there's just a lot of problems with Facebook and and Instagram and Twitter and all that. You know it's. It's hard, but unfortunately, it's the way it is. So what do we do about it? You know, how do we bring people back to earth about stuff? Well, I'm going to echo what you said and add a little a little piece to it. When you were saying that, you know, for a, someone out there taking a photo, posting it to ask yourself, what do I really want? You know, what am I looking to right. receive in this post? Right. And 
for myself, you know, as a step for anyone out there that wants to start detoxing a bit from social media, that when I removed Facebook from my phone, what it did was prevent me from, say, at Jazz Festival two weekends ago. I can snap a picture, put up 10 pictures in a day, how much fun I'm having, Mm -hmm. which was true. But it's a little excessive and unbalanced. You know, so now, since I don't have it on my phone, if I want to post a picture, I have to take a photo, I have to email it to myself, and then when I get home, I have to decide... Is this something I really want to post? Because then I have to post it from a desktop. So it has eliminated me posting at least, you know, 20 pictures that I would have posted had it been on my phone. And it's been helpful for me to see what am I really looking for in this post. Exactly. And and to look and to ask yourself the question before before you post it, why is it so important to me that people know I'm having fun? Exactly. Why is it so important to me that that I let people know that my kid just got an award for something? What am I actually looking for? And if people can go under and start answering those questions for themselves, you know, I want people to know I'm a good mother or I want people to know, you know, then you don't need to do it. That I'm happy. Because you can answer the question yourself. Am I a good mother? Yes. Do I have fun in my life? Yes, I have fun in my life. I don't need to tell everybody that, you know, so it's, a, it's, 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 a, it's, it's self-awareness, really, being conscious of why you are posting what you're posting. And what you want to being get. Being clear about it. So, mm-hmm. Nina, I want to tell our listeners, uh, I am speaking with Nina Watt, and her website is ninawatt.com, N-I-N-A-W-A-T-T.com, and this show will be on iTunes, Google Play, and YouTube. Mm-hmm. And my last question for you, Nina, before we end, is just what, what's important for you to kind of communicate in the world and leave as, as just what you want to, I don't know, get out there? In general, like philosophically. Um, yeah, you asked me that question and I thought about it. You, you know, what what is it that I hope to leave? I'm thinking about my work with people. And I think it is is just an, an ability, a, a, a better ability to question, you know, why am I doing what I'm doing? Or why is this, imp- you know, on behavior and thinking and to, to be self-aware, to, to question how you are with people, to wonder why you're just said that mean thing to your partner or to wonder why you need to buy this bag or to, to, a, a level of self-awareness that, you know, to just question yourself a little bit more in the hopes that you become a bit of a better person and if I could if, if, if every single person that I worked with would take that away with them somehow to just wonder or to be curious about themselves a little bit more I think that it, it you know to help them be better to help them make better choices for themselves to help them consider the impact they have on other people um just awareness, self-awareness, I guess. Self-awareness. And I don't know whether I do that with my people, but ho- hopefully I help them to get to some better place around that stuff. I know you do, as you have affected me positively. <laughs> I really appreciate you coming back mm-hmm. on, and I can't wait oh. to have you back on and just see you in person. <laughs> okay, Lisa. <laughs> Thank you, Nina. Thank you. You're okay, welcome. sweetie. Bye.
Bye. Bye. That concludes our show for today with Nina Watt of ninawatt.com. Please listen in next week for another episode. And I hope everyone has a great week. Bye-bye. You're listening to All Things Therapy with Lisa Tahir.